Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wellness and Wanderlust, where we share practical tips for creating a life you'll love. Whether you're a longtime listener or brand new to the show, I just want to thank you for being here today and for joining me on this journey. I've said this before, but I really have loved connecting with each and every one of you in this way, and I hope this episode comes for you at the exact time that you needed to hear it. So I can't believe it's officially May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm going to be sharing some resources on social media over the next few weeks. Many of our episodes discuss mental health topics, so if you haven't had a chance to tune into these, I highly recommend checking out episode two on self-care and mindfulness during COVID-19 with Yentel Lega episode seven on creating a well-done life with Pamela Davis, and episode 18 on healing our bodies from the inside out with Christina Gonzavalos, just to name a few. And Christina, I apologize in advance if I am mispronouncing your name. In addition, I'll share some links in the show notes for some resources that you can take advantage of if you're in need at all. But just know during this time, whoever needs to hear this, you are not alone. Now, this week, we're going to be chatting with Tina Berger, who is an independent management consultant and author of the new book, Coming Around, Surprises and Surrender on the Path to Inspiration. In her book, Tina explores the balance of the masculine assertive and feminine receptive energies and how we can embrace both of these in our everyday lives and in our careers. We talk about why people who perform well professionally might still feel unsatisfied, how we can find meaning in our work and how to hold space and truly listen to others. Tina also explains why spontaneity can help inspire some of our best ideas and how we can get more in touch with our intuition. Her book is an absolute must read and you'll absolutely want to check it out after listening to our conversation today. Now, before we get started, I would also like to share another podcast that Wellness and Wanderlust fans may enjoy. Welcome to the Mead Musings podcast. Here we open discussions on everyday hidden issues, like living with disabilities and dealing with illnesses. We also cover issues around conditions such as stroke, diabetes, autism, cancer, leukemia, and also living in abusive relationships. We focus on helping people see the light at the end of the tunnel. This podcast is available on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe. Thanks for listening. All right. Let's dive into this week's conversation. Hi, Tina. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust today. Thank you, Valerie. I'm very happy to to be with you in this space. Well, I'm so happy to have you here. I absolutely loved your book, and I would love for you to tell listeners a little bit about yourself. Okay, great. As we were talking about earlier, it's a a story that could take a long time, but um, (laughs) the, the short answer is I'm a I'm a kind of a quirky combination of things. You know, I work as an independent management consultant to, you know, Fortune 500 global corporations. And I'm also a 20 plus year practitioner and and teacher of yoga and meditation and other awareness practices. You know, so I'm interested in universal spiritual principles, but also in the financial markets. I think if I were going to say the thing that most defines me is probably this kind of curiosity that I have, which is a bit you know, it's like boundless. Uh, I had a lot of wonderful experiences growing up traveling, um, and I have a great amount of gratitude for that. My dad was in the Navy. My mom 
is an immigrant from a little tiny village uh, in a little tiny island called Cyprus. Uh, so, you know, as a base brat, I kind of moved and changed schools every couple of years up until high school. Um, so, you know, that's a little bit of my background. Uh, it was very formative for me to be traveling globally and moving uh, a lot. I, I enjoy that a lot still. It's still a big part of my life, seeing the differences in people and how they live around the world. And I have some very vivid memories from living in the Philippines and open air markets and how different people lived and ate and spoke and all of this fed that that sense of curiosity. And it just developed in me a capacity and value for difference and change and perspectives on um, on everything. So uh, I also grew up reading and my degrees in English literature, my, my undergrad. Uh, I have a in master's in, in business administration. So back to the kind of one of my friends said at one point, uh, you're kind of this funny collection of contradictions, you know. Um, but my dad used to bring boxes of books home and drop them on the floor. And I remember kind of sitting in the middle of, of all these books uh, on insects and flowers and religion and science. And I, I don't even, you know, I think sometimes he would just stop at like used bookstores or whatever. But those were always around. And this was part of my, my life uh, growing up. And and now I work in change, you know, I work in transformation. My work uh, is, is in supporting you know, really large scale organizational changes and often related to the impact of digital technologies. So I'm kind of in the middle of digital and people and change and transformation and business. I'm also a mom and I've got, uh, I'm lucky. I have a tremendously supportive family and loving partner and community around me. So yeah, that's, that's kind of, that sums me up a little bit. Well, that's amazing. And I can definitely relate to that curiosity. I always say if money weren't an object, I think I would just keep going back to school. And, um, you know, the number of majors that I considered before landing on one, I certainly can relate to that. And, you know, I'm sure that that really sparked your interest in writing then as well. Yes. Yes. I have always loved stories. And it's a funny thing because I, I started my career in um you know, writing technical, doing technical writing. So after after university, I, I went to work as a technical writer and I was working on, I was writing, you know, corporate policies and procedures and documenting work processes and things like that. And, uh, and, I, and I, I always ended up, you know, working my way back into stories and stories being the most powerful way of, of engaging people in understanding difficult concepts or making changes. So yeah, story's always been a part and teaching has always been a part of my work in some way or another. Well, I think you're a gifted storyteller and I personally really enjoyed your book coming around. And I'd love to know a little bit more about what inspired you to write this book. It's a, yeah, that, that story. Well, I wasn't inspired to write that book um, until okay. I was, right? So actually, I started out with this whole other idea. I was going to write a book on investing, and I was really excited about that. And I, I had my whole, my whole, I had my title, I had all my sub chapter, my chapter headings. Uh, and I thought, well, I've never written a book before, so maybe I should take a workshop on that, because that's the way my brain works, too. So I was mm -hmm. like, well, let me go learn how to do that. And when I went to this workshop, the, the workshop instructor said, hey, you know, the way inspiration works is, you know, you, you, you don't be surprised if a different book than you thought was going to, 
you were going to write is one that you write. And I thought in my head, because this is the way my life teaches me, uh, Valerie, mm-hmm. is, well, that's not going to happen to me because I already have my title, I already have my chapter headings, I know what I'm writing about. And, uh, and, and it was, that book was more of a kind of a, an instructional book. It was not a book on my life. And the book that came, and, and so I started writing and what was coming up were my own stories. Uh, that was what was coming to me. It was like, write this story first. And I did, I was like, that's really vulnerable. Not sure I want to write that story down. And, but I have over the last, you know, 20 plus years now that I've been on this, this journey, learned not to ignore those voices, that knowing inside. And so I ended up listening to it and I wrote that story and I did it. I don't ever do it easily. I go, oh, all right, fine. I'll write the story. So I write the story and I'm in this internal little argument dialogue with myself, with my own inspiration, with my own receptivity going, well, I don't think you know what you're doing, but I'll go ahead and write that story. But now I don't know what I'm going to write next. And then of course the next story came and I was like, fine, I'll write that story, but I don't see how it relates to the previous story. This is how the whole thing came, right? And so as, but as I'm writing it, I'm realizing the relatedness and I'm realizing that I'm really unpacking what is the precursor to the investment book that I thought I was going to write. Now, who knows if I'll write that book or not, um, or what book will come next, because I'm already, I already feel one coming, but this book came because it wanted to come, you know, and I got out and I managed to in spite of my 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 wish to control this thing uh, and to make it be what I wanted and to make it conform to the goal I already had in my head for it, I allowed it to come and be what it is. And, and in that way, I feel I brought all my skill to it. I'm not saying I channeled this thing. It was not easy to write it, but it told me what it was. And I devoted myself to to writing that down and getting it on paper. And I'm very I'm kind of, it's like nothing I've ever done before in the way this, this creation has come to be. So in the, in effect, it's explained its own creation. That's what the whole book is about is how to allow and work with inspiration, how to allow intuition and also bring your energy and your action to, to bringing it out into the world. Yeah. I thought that was so poetic about your story because you literally have the word surrender in your title and surrendering to those ideas and, you know, allowing them to come through. I think that is incredibly inspiring. Now, what sparked your interest in, you talk about, you know, two very core principles in this book of the masculine assertive and the feminine receptive. What are they for listeners who don't know? And how did you first become interested in that? Mm-hmm. Well, masculine and feminine in our culture have, uh, you know, they're tricky areas right now because there's a lot of conversation about gender expression and and biological sex and a lot of there's a lot of conversation around difference in that space. Um, this isn't about that. This is a much older model. And for me, I've always been interested in improving myself and looking for ways to understand my expression as a human being and what I need to work on and how and what tools I can use to interrupt old patterns within myself and to uh, adopt um, more healthy uh, ways of, of living and showing up in the world. And so I kind of am a collector of models 
uh, of consciousness, of awareness, and, and of interaction. And I'm a, I'm a collector of of practices to make myself to to release those old patterns and to and to move in in new and different ways. And one of the 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 models that I have found very useful recently, and I have multiple ones that I that I think about and use and are alive for me, is this model of the Tao. And, and I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but the Tao is, is that yin and yang symbol that you sometimes see that's half white and half black. And this is a, a model of balanced expression that comes from Eastern spiritual teachings. And it depicts a whole um, that is an equal balance of the yin expression, which is the feminine receptive. So it's really about our ability to receive and the masculine is in balance with that feminine, and that's the assertive expression. And so these these are equally valuable expressions of the human uh, spirit, of the human life. So yang is about, yang we're actually much more familiar with um, mm-hmm. and much more, much more um, oriented to in Western culture, and particularly in the U.S., and that's about kind of doing um, and building and planning and goal setting and logical linear processes and the and individuality and the yin or receptive aspect of of humanity and we all are wired for both of these things we all have the capacity to to assert and receive um you know and so it's really kind of a check-in to go well you know are we balanced that would be what the model would be used for you know but but the feminine is about being able to take things in, to listen, to take in people. It's about being and being still, stillness over action. So action is the masculine assertive and being and stillness is in the feminine receptive. The feminine is intuitive. It recognizes and acknowledges communal experience and connectedness, uh, whereas the, the masculine recognizes and expresses the individual. So the, the, you know, th- these are the, this is the kind of comparison that we're talking about. That, so if we think about even the breath, the, the inhale is the receptive feminine and the exhale is the assertive masculine. So these are things that work in harmony with each other. So we're looking for a harmony. So for me, that's how I, I started looking at this and, and realizing that when I looked at my, my own life experience, I realized that I had geared a lot of my own habits to to be more oriented or unbalanced toward the masculine assertive expression because that's what gets affirmed, recognized, paid for, acknowledged, and awarded and rewarded in our cultural and systemic context in the West. So it kind of teaches us to tune out uh, and to undervalue listening and emotional connection and emotional expression and intuition in favor of, right? So both are equally valuable. And I wouldn't say, oh, we need to not be the, we shouldn't be logical. We shouldn't be, you know, active, Mm -hmm. but we, but, but what's the balance of those things and how do they look in me and where do I want to grow myself and, uh, and experience my life more? So that's really where it came from. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I agree that society really does seem to value us more when we are doing all of the things. It's a very go, go, go society, especially pre-pandemic. I think the pandemic maybe has 
forced us to slow down a little bit and listen to ourselves a little more. But I think overall, I think a lot of times in our careers, we're so focused on that masculine assertive side. And maybe that's making us less satisfied in what we're doing. Yeah, you know, one of my, so my my experience is that we are, we get taught a lot, put your goals, get your goal together and get your plan together and grind, you know, like that's what you have to do. And, you know, so I know how to do that. I learned how to do that. Uh, that's what we do to be successful in school. And that's what we do to be successful in, in, in work and in business. Get your goal, get your uh, voice into the room, be assertive, you know, don't be talked over. But those things in and of themselves are when you're doing when you're creating a goal, where is it coming from? You know, that becomes my question. And that's sort of what led me to a lot of the deep work that I've done is, well, OK, but why is that my goal? You know, or why is that our goal? And when I started looking into business to try and, and connect my own meaning and my own sense of satisfaction to the goals of a business, I was having a really hard time with that, you know? So I wanted to find something that was inspiring in my work. And I kept coming up with the the reason for us to be uh, as a business, the reason why we're here is to grow and get bigger. And I'm like, that is to make more money and to have more profit and to create more jobs. And I was like, that's not enough for me. I'm, I'm, and why? Okay, so if you told me to create more jobs and to grow, it, to, to create more jobs, okay, I, I, get, I can go there. But what's happening is we're creating jobs, but the jobs pay less. And so we're creating more work, but we're creating also systems that are perpetuating really unhealthy and unsustainable futures. And so that's not an, like the number of jobs isn't enough you know, and the mm -hmm. profit in and of itself, I can see a lot of, so, you know, what you're hearing is like what my process was to go, okay, this, I don't think we're really doing inspired work as a collective because potentially back when we set these systems in motion, there was a beauty in them. There was an inspiration in them, but now it doesn't feel like that to me. So inspiration doesn't happen without us being open to the question of what is needed. What is needed? What is exciting? What are the challenges we're dealing with that we could collectively get together and solve that would serve, right? What would serve the future? What would serve life? What would serve beauty in the world? And are we doing that? I think that's a great point. And I'd love to know too, I, I think it can be difficult sometimes to pinpoint what is needed. How do we tune into that? Well, do you have to be receptive? Because inspiration doesn't happen unless we're still. And I didn't fully apprehend that until I started being still enough to realize what, what I was being called into next. And I don't say that like I get a, a voice all the time, although weirdly, sometimes I do. I'm not really that, I, I didn't, I'm not really that kind of, I don't think of myself still, even though probably I'm lying and I am this kind of a person now, Valerie, but like, uh, but I don't think of myself as somebody who is just like, I'm not the kind of feather earring type of, you know, like I'm a practical person and I've been able to kind of create this successful professional life and all of that. But I'm also 
I'm, I also feel very guided in my life now. And part of the reason for that are experiences that I have opened myself to where I am holding open questions for myself instead of trying to figure out answers in my, in my mind and in my intellect that go, okay, here's what I should do. I should go after this kind of a job. And because what happens is when you get to the job, you realize there was something about that that you wanted that appealed to you, but it was really not the job. It was something else about it. It was that you really like it let like for, for me in particularly, uh, I thought I wanted to uh, be a facilitator of certain kinds of, of events. And so I, I put that out as my goal and I drove there and I made that happen. And then I got there and I was like, I don't actually like running events. Um, mm. I don't like organizing events. I don't want to do them all the time. I probably want to do them like a, every quarter, right? Not as mm. a lifetime, not as a career, but I wasn't open to getting that information all along the way. And so I had, I just, I was pushing this boulder uphill and then I got there and I was like, I don't even like this. This isn't what I want. So what is the way of understanding? So there's a, there's a dialogue that you're constantly in with inspiration and with a, a knowing that's beyond yourself that you can only get if you stop every day, settle in and inquire and be open to inspiration about what feels most right in your whole spirit and your whole body and your whole beingness. And sometimes I'll have a person's face flash into my mind. And sometimes I'll have a direction that comes into my understanding. Like I've done the same kind of uh, practice now for almost 20 years where my meditations have been seated. And about two months ago, not too long before the launch of this book, I was doing my meditation practice and I got a very strong it was almost a, it almost felt like a voice, but it was, this would be a really good time for you to stand up. And I thought, well, this is resistance. Initially, I thought this, because I'm stubborn, I thought this is resistance <laughs> to my meditation. And so I just kind of mentally waved it off. And it was like, it was almost like a tapping on the shoulder. This would be a really good time for you to stand up and move um, in some kind of a flow. And I thought, okay, what is this? You know, I don't, and I'm kind of frustrated because again, this is how I do it. I'm like, I don't know any standing moving meditation. I don't have that. <laughs> and a couple of weeks later, one of my friends said, oh, you know, I thought you might want, you might be interested. You know, I have this teacher of, I'm learning Tai Chi and, you know, I have this amazing teacher and he's going to start doing online class. And would you like to, and I was like, that's perfect. And I've been practicing that now and learning that the last uh, two and a half, three months. And it's perfect. But had I not been in my typical meditation receptive place, I would not know that. I feel the impact of the Tai Chi in my movements in my day to day, just like if you sit and you do sitting meditation, uh, you feel the impacts of being on the mat once a day in the morning mm -hmm. come into your life experience. It's the same. And bigger, bigger questions can be answered, bigger inspirations, you know, I'm only looking for the next right step and I'm holding a vision, not a goal, but a vision of how I want to serve and be in service in my mind at the same time. But that's, but I hold it loosely because I know that that's subject to change. The vision's probably not going to change too much, but the how, I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, yeah, it's, it's really about opening to being more receptive so that you can be inspired.
I think that makes so much sense. On the other hand, it can be really hard for us, I think, sometimes to tune in and to trust ourselves. And I know in the book, you have a story about going to see a psychic and she had said that you were not fully embodying the physical experience of life, holding most of your energy outside of the body. And I think so many of us, myself included, can be guilty of that. How did you make that transition over time to be really tuning into that and to have those receptive practices. And for those who find the idea a little a little intimidating, maybe they are very action-oriented and not really sure how to be still, what are some things we can do? What are some practices that people can start to incorporate into their lives? I'm a really good example of that because I, I got it wrong a lot. I mean, so that if you ask me well, how I learned, I'd say I got it wrong a lot. And and I had to be willing to, and I say get it wrong, but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm much more compassionate with myself than that. But I had to give myself permission to not be perfect and to create like a space for myself to experiment. Because part of being receptive is being receptive to what does not feel right to you. So if you tell me, I can't do sitting meditation, I'm not going to tell you, oh, no, you can and you have to and you should. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to say, okay, I trust you. That's a real thing. There there are lots of reasons why that's challenging for people that have grown up in this culture and we're so bombarded and overwhelmed sensorily. And and the idea of removing all of that and being still when you have a to-do list that's way too long for the day, that's not what we're going for. Um, We're going for something that, yeah, you know, sometimes it's hard to make space for the the time for yourself, but we're talking about creating a little time for yourself that is about re-energizing and renewing. So I would say the way that, and I've had times where I have not wanted to get up from my practice, and I've had times where I've stepped away from it for some period of time and had to come back to it, and I just allow that for myself. But when you get a seed planted that says, hey, there's real potential in this for you. What if you just make space? What if you just make 15 minutes a day where you say, I'm not going to be on my device and I'm going to and and I'm going to experiment with different things. Maybe I'll experiment with drumming. Maybe I'll experiment with chanting. Maybe I'll experiment with dance. Maybe I'll experiment with. But you hold that as your receptive time. You light candles, you give it the space that it deserves, uh, and you say, this this is my receptive time. Maybe you cultivate and take care of your plants at that time in a very reverent way, um, and you ask for guidance in your mind or however way it fa- feels most. See, I'm throwing out suggestions because mm-hmm. not everything is fit for everybody, in, mm-hmm. at every time of their life. And my practice has changed over time. I'd say, you know, that's the, that's one of the big misunderstandings about practice is that some people are very prescriptive about what it has to look like and what it has to be. And I mm-hmm. think you have to listen to yourself to know that. And I think you've had some really cool examples in the book too of how of how you've incorporated that. I loved the story about, you know, some of the intuitive driving you did and some of the places that you ended up. And I, I think that's incredible. I, I know for me, I'm very, 
itinerary oriented. And I, even if I drive into the next town, I have a schedule of what I'm going to do. And sometimes that can be really great, but I think you do miss out on some of those unexpected experiences. I think we're really missing spontaneity and surprise. Um, And when you don't create space, Space in your life that is unscheduled and unstructured, you're missing that, you know, like that stuff mm-hmm. that used to happen. Well, you know, for, for hopefully for many of us as kids, you know, we'd wake up and it'd be like, what's going to happen a day? You know, um, mm-hmm. I think now we're even scheduling our kids so much that that's not even necessarily a given. But for me, it was when I grew up, I was like, you know, every day was a full of potential amazing surprise or learning or a person that I might encounter and an experience that I might have that would be new, a hill that I might go down on my bicycle, whatever it was. And we missed that because we've now structured our days so that we are getting the most productivity. And I put that in quotation marks, mm-hmm. you know, productivity out of our day because that's what our culture says is important and that's what our culture says is successful is productivity and yeah we get a lot done we are productive people in the world but we're not happy you know as a culture so it's not really working for us and you know our systems if you look at the impact of them when i was when i first came into the workplace and as i was growing up there wasn't this understanding that there wasn't this visibility to the impacts of our of our economic systems and the work that we are spending so much of our lives doing on the world and on the planet. Now, my kids, you know, and, and myself too, we see the impacts of these things on a daily basis. We understand the impacts of our corporations. And I don't want, like if I, if I say, even in the context that I work in now, which is big, giant, you know, corporations, if I say, hey, we're killing the planet, no one argues with me. They don't. They might argue with me about exactly how that's happening or what, you know what I mean? Like the the specific details, but not that it's happening. You know, to me, that's, that's, that's a call to action to change this thing, to tune into what could we do different? How could we work together in a different way? What are the outcomes we really want? Are these them? Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier about, you know, the majority of our listeners are millennials. And one of the things very common with this generation is, you know, wanting our work to be meaningful and wanting to make a positive impact on the world. But oftentimes to get a paycheck, we may not be able to do that. So we we struggle with being very aware of how we may be negatively impacting the world, but we really do want to make a difference. What can millennials be doing right now to pursue more meaning in their work and still be valued by their companies? That's the dilemma that we're in. And, and that's, the, that's the work that I'm called to personally. I think it's not an easy, there's no easy pat answer for that, except that we need to learn how to engage with each other and be creative of the future that we want. And to me, the agitation is important. The Mm -hmm. continued um, examination of the systems that millennials are kind of famous for doing and being picked on for, you know, Mm -hmm. that's important to keep doing. Like my generation, and I'm like a 1964 baby, so I'm the last generation, I'm the last year of the baby boomers. So I'm right there in that little pre-Xer 
last of the baby boomers, but the baby boomers were idealist that then got pulled. They were like the flower children that got pulled into and kind of ended up having to uh, conform to these systems and didn't fix them. We did not fix them. And that's the, my feeling is that we really have to re, we have to recreate them. We have to reinvigorate them. We have to stop defending them as this is the best system in the world and more look at them with new eyes and say, you know, what do we really want to serve? What do we really want to have happen? Because when I look at the trends, I don't think they're healthy. I think that the, the challenges that we're getting from younger generations they're correct. If I said, you know, I, I, I always say we taught our kids very, very well to care about their neighbors, to care about their peers, to care about people on the other side of the world, uh, and yet uh, and to care about the planet. And yet all of our systems are destructive of, of these things. And so I'm not surprised. And I'm actually quite proud of our kids. And I now I want to come back to the table and say, hey, let's let's fix this but i don't think it's easy and i don't i don't have an easy answer for you on that except you know to keep doing what you're doing to keep highlighting it to keep pushing for and getting engaged in discussions but i also think we have to get better at those discussions we have to get better at listening to each other um, and you didn't have a lot of great models for that and when i look at the conversations that are happening kind of worldwide or not even just worldwide, but but definitely, you know, just have a look at Twitter and Facebook and mm -hmm. uh, some of these other places to see how bad we are at actually hearing each other and validating each other's points of view and just taking in the pain that we are collectively feeling and causing. Because if in the feminine receptive aspect, we know that we're connected to everybody and everything on this planet. So the more we sort of hold ourselves as separate and say, I'm going to argue with you uh, and I'm, I'm going to win this argument, you might win the argument, but you're still hurting from it. If we are abusive to each other in the language that we use, if we are not, uh, we cannot find ourselves in the other point of view, that's just a part of ourselves we are denying. If you if you hold the holistic view at the same time, because we're both and we are definitely separate and having individual experiences, and we're also all connected and all in the same boat together. And so we have to figure out ways to navigate that and hold space for each other so that we can have creative, constructive, find find new ways, new systems and, and new uh, solutions for how we hold work and how we hold our impact in the world. I think that is such a great point. And, you know, we've had a couple of difficult, well, I guess one difficult year that feels like a couple of dif difficult years, but we've been having some difficult times with a pandemic and with racial tensions in this country and so many different, you know, a very charged election that adults on both sides of the spectrum felt more stress, I think, during this last election cycle than they have in previous years. And, you know, you mentioned the words hold space. And I think it's something something we really struggle with as a society. Talk to me a little bit about what that means to hold space and how we can do a better job of that, especially when we believe very strongly against the other people. I think what's most useful is 
So we've been talking about individual practices, you know, like sort of sitting meditation or yoga or Tai Chi or interpretive dance or intuitive movement and driving, right? These are all kind of individual things that you can do to create your own capacity, improve your own capacity for tuning into receptivity receptivity, intuition, inspiration, this bigger sense of, of community than just the just the me and the I and this understanding of connectivity. There are also collective community group practices that we can do that help us strengthen our ability to hear each other and to hold space for each other. And some of these practices, again, are very old. There's a practice called the way of counsel. There's a book um, that's even out well, it's been out for many years, um, and I was exposed to it the first time um, in a class, and it was very moving for me because you, we have to be taught out of our habitual patterns of being in dialogue with people, even in corporate and uh, in, in our work scenarios. What we call collaboration is not really collaboration. Mm-hmm. We, we have, let's just say we have eight people around the table, and we're going to brainstorm ideas for solve how to solve a problem. This becomes a competitive exercise. Typically, it's it's each mm-hmm. person comes up with their idea, and whoever's idea, and then we try to quickly come to a consensus. And I put that in quotation marks <laughs> on what the best idea is, uh, which often ends up being the idea of the most assertive, most rational, most logical, and most overall confident and successful person in the group. It may not be a terrible solution. I'm not saying that it is, but it's not collaboration. Mm -hmm. This is just one more way of contextualizing the competitive individual perspective that we have. So what is real co-creation and what is real collaboration and what is real problem solving feel like until we can actually really get out of our own agenda as an individual person and as an individual contributor and take in the full extent of the person who's actually speaking with us, which means telling somebody else is telling you a story. You're not thinking about what your response is. You're Mm -hmm. not answering questions in your mind. You are completely present with that person and all that they are and all that they're saying and not just parsing their words, but actually feeling into that person and being fully receptive to that individual's expression in that moment, that is a very different experience than most of us have. And most of us have been taught to have with other people. So that's a whole different way of being and one of being with. And when we learn how to do that, it opens up so much richness and so much more possibility for different solutions than we can even imagine as individuals. And I describe a couple of those scenarios in the book, but I've had many of them, but only recently, Valerie, because only recently have I been in company of other people that have been able to to hold that space with me. But even if just one or two people are doing it and you have the, the right kind of city, because you have to create a container. Mm-hmm. You have to create a container for that kind of engagement with people. And everybody's kind of got to be willing to go there. But yeah, there's a whole education and a whole set of practices that can enable us to do this. We just have to identify it as a need. And we have to identify it as something we want to collectively do. And so the best way to do that is to learn how to do it and do it in the groups that you're in. 
and find other groups that give you the opportunity to practice that so that you can bring it to more and more people um, because it's just something we're unpracticed at and have not learned to do. And, you know, I think once you have one or two situations where you see that, you go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this was possible. I didn't realize it was the thing. You know, I was with people from all over the world for 12 days and I ended up having had a series of these kinds of interactions. There were things that we, we could actually talk about anything. We weren't similar. We didn't have similar backgrounds. We didn't have political affiliations that were similar. We had different experiences and there was nothing we couldn't approach in a conversation with love, which was, it just blows my mind still. I love that. And I honestly think that, you know, not only will it help us to better solve problems in our workplaces and in the world, but I think holding that space for others and really being receptive to their story helps us just build our personal relationships as well. I know that a lot of times there's the joke that when you approach a man with a problem, he wants to solve the problem versus, you know, maybe you want someone to listen. But I think it's not just men. I think, you know, maybe the masculine assertive approach, but I think so often when you do come to someone with maybe a problem or a story and you want to simply be heard and understood, so often that person does come back to you with, well, have you tried this, 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 and this? And sometimes there's a place for it, but a lot of times that's not what the person needs in that moment. Yes, I do see um, a little bit of movement on that front, you know, like at least we're having that conversation, right? Like at least people have heard that, but you're absolutely right that it's not male. That's not a gender-based issue. I mean, it may seem like it. And and I think, you know, I don't want to overstate that either, but I, I feel like we're all programmed to want to solve problems and get on down the road, you know, like there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, so you might as well not sit in that grief. Well, grief is actually fundamental for teaching us uh, and for helping us to apprehend and helping us to be more conscious and aware of the true impacts of the events in our lives, of the true impacts of the relationships in our lives. And it creates a kind of beauty to be emotionally present and aware enough to, to feel it. Right. So if we're constantly pushing our emotions out of the way so that we can get on with life, we're missing so much of the range and beauty of the experience of being a human being. I definitely experienced that. I know there have been times where I pushed my grief aside, maybe masked with food or being busy. And the grief doesn't go away. It ultimately manifests itself in ways that are really not productive, you know, anger and hurting relationships. And I found when I really let myself sit with an emotion and hold space for myself in that respect, I can get through it a lot easier. I can learn from it if there's something to be learned and you move forward. And I, I don't think that's possible if you, you know, kind of push it away, stuff it back. That's a beautiful um, realization that you're expressing, which is you can start by holding space for your own emotions, you know, even if people around you are not practiced at it, because what that does is it creates within you a comfort around other people's emotional depth and experiences and difficulties. And also you're able to hold that for yourself. You're also able to kind of quietly 
uh, and receptively hold that space when somebody else needs it. Yeah, you're creating you're creating your own capacity for being able to do that because sometimes we comfort people uh, and we give them those messages about you know there's nothing you can do about it. Um, might as well let's go get lunch or whatever. When we do that, we're also contracting. We, we're actually what we're doing is comforting ourselves at the same time. Mm-hmm. So we need them to be in a good mood. We need them to feel good for us because it makes us uncomfortable to see other people in pain because it reminds us of our own pain because it makes us feel helpless because, you know, that's not what we value here. So those are good, good things to remind yourself of. I need to allow myself space for the processing of this. And, you know, we were talking about morning practice earlier, and that is where some of my grief comes out about this pandemic. You know, I recognize we, we're seeing a spike in anxiety. We're seeing a spike in depression over this last year. We're seeing some real impacts of this pandemic and the uh, associated isolation on people. And in my life, like I said, I'm very fortunate, but I feel the collective pain that people are going through on some level or another. And sometimes that comes out in my morning practice mm-hmm. and I just weep you know, sometimes for 10 minutes, sometimes for longer. And I just allow myself that time because it's true. This is not me being overreactive. This is me being true to what's happening. People are hurting. Mm -hmm. That was something I definitely struggled with as well. I'm, you know, I'm an introvert. So I really hadn't thought about how connectedness is something we all need, whether you're an introvert or not. And I noticed my health start to get worse and my mental health was getting a little worse. And when I was able to recognize that maybe it was the isolation and I was able to honor, you know, I'm not feeling the way I'd like to be feeling, but this is what I'm going through. I've been able to move past it a lot easier simply mm-hmm. by by sitting in that. And the collective pain has been really challenging too and definitely I've had a few outbursts about mm-hmm. maybe people in masks, but um, <laughs> you, <laughs> uh-huh. but I think you know honoring that it definitely it definitely is. We talk about productivity or not? It's actually the more, in my opinion, the more productive way to handle it. Yeah, I think becoming more aware of, tuned in, allowing um, ourselves to bump around in our emotions a little bit more. I think you're right. There's definitely a connection between you know, trying to, trying to manage all of that and the resulting anxiety and nervousness of, uh, you know, of that suppression. And so self-care is sometimes allowing the flow of that, allowing the flow of that without expressing it. You know, you're talking about the, the anger and frustration that's also in there sometimes that needs to be expressed. It needs Mm -hmm. not to be, but it needs to be expressed in non-destructive in ways that are not pointed at somebody. You know what I mean? So it's like, that's another thing that I had to learn was how, okay, I'm not, I'm a pretty laid back person, but sometimes I'm, you know, I'm angry. And in the past, I would not let, I wouldn't allow that from myself. I'm like, that's not mm-hmm. the way to be. That's, there's no value in, you know, I was raised, not ra- like what this culture says, there's no place for that. That's, you know, bringing emotions into professional settings or, you know, you keep that to yourself. And so I, I think there's value in allowing some frustration 
and there's uh, and, and allowing yourself to have um, expression of anger, but you have to find ways, places, and people who can hold that space for you. Where and also you have to teach yourself that this is just anger needing to be released. It is not about that person. Sometimes we like find a person to attach it to, but it's really much bigger than that, or it's different from that. Absolutely. I I could not agree more. And I found, you know, sometimes talking to someone in my life and then sometimes through, I think, physical activity, you sometimes get those feelings out as well. I have expressed some of that through kickboxing and I'm not actually punching any real people and, um, you, know, working, <laughs> <laughs> you know, working up a sweat because I think our bodies hold a lot of those emotions as well. Yeah. Um, one of my biggest lessons uh, or learnings in my life has been that connection, like uh, the connection between my physical body and my emotional, spiritual and intellectual body. And all of this is now like being explained with science, you know, um, mm-hmm. this this idea that yoga, cre- you know, we, we talk about yoga in the U.S. like it's a flexibility and fitness program. But actually, physical flexibility builds neural connections, right? So you, we, we over over the course of our lives begin to be habituated into certain physical, into a kind of a range of certain physical movements. And the more our life becomes a routine and habituated, the more narrow and fixed those movements become. So if we want to think differently, if we want to be more resilient to change in the world, if we want to be more able to flow, then we have to teach our physical bodies to move differently. So you can come at it from both sides. One side is that, you know, I'm, I'm going to do therapy. I'm going to, I'm going to have some, some internal dialogue with myself about my intention, but also the more we teach our body about the its own flexibility, the faster those other things can happen. Those other changes can manifest within our being. I absolutely love that. Now, I would love to switch gears a little bit and dive into a few of our rapid fire questions for our listeners to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Wonderful. Now, this may be difficult because we've talked about this a little bit, but what would be your top wellness tip? Create space for a daily practice. Uh, you know, don't don't assume you can't. Uh, it doesn't have to be uh, an hour long. It can make it fifteen. You know, figure out the things that feed your spirit and do those in that time that time frame. And, and experiment with some different things until you find one that feels like you. I love that. Now, where is your favorite travel destination? Oh, these are hard uh, because <laughs> I, I, you know, it's the next one on the list, whatever that one is. But I, mm-hmm. I will say we have a, a little retreat. Um, in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont called Mandela Ridge, which is my favorite place to to go and recharge. It sounds beautiful. It's, it's gorgeous. Oh my gosh. And I feel like we're getting to the time of the year that has to be so nice to go. Yes. it's uh, there's The air up there is uh, amazing and fresh and uh, it just regrounds me to be in nature. Uh, and, and the more wild, the better. Definitely. Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? <laughs> well, I actually really like, I know I am an animal, you know, like I really yeah. like the, being this human animal. I love this life and I truly do. Like every day I'm like, thank God for this body and this, 
little animal being that I am. But, you know, most often I do notice and connect with the different kinds of birds of prey, you know, with with uh, kites and hawks and uh, and those those animals. They're absolutely beautiful and just amazing to see. We have we have quite a few in Florida and a raptor habilita- rehabilitation center not too far away. And it has been so cool to get to see them and just amazing animals. Now, if you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? I'm all I, I'm always doing that. Uh, so right now <laughs> I'm trying to master Tai Chi. You know, that's going to be a lifetime of uh you know, it's one of those things that you can always get better at and always, you're always, that's actually the beauty of so many practices is that they, they teach you how not to be perfect. Um, I'm also working on 3D character development, which wow. is, uh, so, so I'm constantly like looking for the, the next thing that I, I want to, but I do want to master that. So that's, I'm in the, I just started. That is so cool. And then finally, what is next on your bucket list? Uh, well, launching this book is a big one. Um, this is the first book that I've written. And so it's a manifestation of a lifelong dream. So I'm I'm very happy with that. Some of the others are, are travel. I really like to visit North, Northern Africa. You know, I'd like to to visit Morocco and Egypt. Those are places I've, I've never been. And they kind of, uh, they have a little, a little, light around them in my mind and then you know on a on a more adventurous uh travel i have always had it in my mind as part of my bucket list that i want to bungee jump in victoria falls which is in is down in the south which is in zimbabwe but still it's on it's on my list (laughs) you're very brave (laughs) some people would use a different word but thank you (laughs) You're welcome. My vertigo, I'm not sure if I could handle that, but the travel, you know, that's definitely been something I'm very much missing and can't wait to get back to. But launching the book, that's such an incredible accomplishment. And I know that listeners are absolutely going to love that. So can you let our listeners know where they can purchase your book and where they can find you and connect? You can find information about my book and me on my website, which is at tinaberger.com. Uh, and my book, Coming Around, Surprises and Surrender on the Path to Inspiration, is available on all the major book retailing sites. So at Amazon, IndieBound, Barnes & Noble, and Apple Books. And I thank you so much for having me, Valerie. Thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story with us. I know that listeners are going to absolutely love your book. And I think just learning to hold this space is going to, it makes our world a better place to live in. It's been a real pleasure. Wow, what an incredible conversation. I loved chatting with Tina and learning about embracing that feminine receptive energy that we talked about today. Now, I'm someone who can be really type A. I'm motivated by goals. I'm very itinerary driven, as I mentioned in this episode. And I think that has served me very well in many areas of my life. But I also do think that embracing that other side of myself is important as well. I think we need to trust ourselves, trust our intuition, because we are way more intuitive than we realize or give ourselves credit for. And so by holding that space for ourselves, as we talked about in this episode, and holding space for others, of course, I think we can really figure out what matters to us. Now, most of our listeners are millennials, so I think our talk about this generation and our drive to altruism was really important for me, too. 
I think for many people in this generation, it can be really hard to find meaning in our work when things often feel way too profit-driven. But I think our generation and the Gen Zers that are behind us are really actively working to create change and shape a better future. And so I do feel optimistic for what's to come. I've linked all of Tina's information in the show notes, including where you can purchase her book. And trust me, you'll want to. She shares a lot of lessons learned and stories that you'll love. And again, as someone who is a little bit left-brained, I really appreciated the lists that she includes in her book of practices that she incorporates as well. Now, be sure to give her book a read. Thank you, as always, for sharing a part of your day with us here at Wellness and Wanderlust. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could share it on Instagram and tag me at Wellness and Wanderlust blog. Tag Tina as well and let her know how much you enjoyed. And please feel free to rate and review the show on whatever app you're listening on. It helps other people to find it. And if you have a topic that you'd like to see or a guest that you'd like me to have on, shoot me an email at valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net. Have a wonderful day and I will see you next week.